I want to welcome you if you're new to Sunday nights. It's good to see everybody out doing something other than watching the uh, synopsis of whatever happened in the world of the NFL today. Or that final game. You can always figure that out when you get home. Tonight, if you turn to Genesis chapter 4, we'll finish up chapter 4 before we move on to chapter 5. A study that I've entitled, The World According to Cain. Now remember, Cain is now the lone child initially of Adam and Eve. And we have one of those problematic passages tonight because everybody asks. And in fact, if you're uh, one of those people who's fascinated by the world of, of law, you may have remembered the famous Scopes monkey trial in which the theory of evolution was put on trial. Clarence Darrow, the attorney, actually used the analogy of where did Cain get his wife? And so tonight we'll, we'll tackle that. Where did the wife of Cain come from? Surprise to some of you, probably most of you, you're going, well, duh. There's a couple. Their name is Adam and Eve. Thus far, they now have one remaining son. They're going to have some additional children. Because as far as the Bible is concerned, there are no other people on the face of the earth save Adam and Eve and their progeny, those that come from them. And so tonight, this initial beginning of human society and how the Lord works in these very few people initially uh, that will form the backdrop of all of the rest of us mankind as we know it. So would you pray with me and we'll tackle verse 16 down to verse 26 as we finish chapter 4 before we move on to chapter 5 next week. Father, we thank you for the record that's found here. And God, we would ask as we read and study that you'd give us understanding and clarity, God, that it would help us resolve some of the issues that we see in our world. And, And Father, chief among them is the lack of fossil evidence of humankind seems to indicate that uh, there's not been millions or billions of years of people living on this planet. And so as we look at your word, uh, very specifically it tells us who those first inhabitants were, how long they lived, and God, we pray that you'd help us to lean and trust on your word. God, your word is true, and so we want to learn from it tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 16 here in Genesis chapter 4. And then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Remember, that's part of what's going to be his, his curse in life. He's going to be kicked out of the Garden of Eden. He's going to have a rough go. And in fact, we're going to see that he's going to be wandering around a bit. And so, from the presence of the Lord. And he dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife. And so, instantaneously, we recognize that there has to be a, a woman Uh, that's available to him, uh, just as was for Adam, uh, his wife Eve. And she conceived and and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after his son Enoch. And so Cain uh, becomes the founder of the world's first literal city. Uh, And it was likely a small one. It was not uh, a giant metropolis as we know it today. And to Enoch was born Irad, and to Irad... Mahujael. And remember, whenever you see E-L on the end of any name, that is the name of God. And so anytime you see that ending, you can assume that there's something, it's a prefix there, and we'll dig into some of these names as we travel through the book of Genesis. And so here's the first one. And Mahujael begot Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech. And Lamech took for himself two wives. Now remember, God in the beginning created Adam and Eve. There was one man, there was one woman, and God presides over the first marriage there in the Garden of Eden. And so God's original plan, God's original design is one man, one woman. And very often when you get embroiled in these conversations, you ends up something like this. Well, you know, it wasn't very long before you know, a a man took two wives. What's wrong with that? Well, you're going to see that the man that took these two wives brings all kinds of trouble into the world. 
and so it is not God's plan. It's never been his design. It's not his desire that any man or any woman should have more than one spouse. And so here we have the first incidence of that happening, and it does not go well. In the name of one, it was Ada, and of the other, was the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. And he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And so you're going to begin to see something about these names that contained within them is, is the basic understanding of who they are and what they did. That was a common naming practice then. Uh, it is still in many undeveloped areas of the world where you kind of watch the child for that first year, figure out what a good name is. And in this case, uh, it was probably a while because he was one who dwelled in tents and had livestock. So we now see that there's animal husbandry underway, and his brother's name was Jubal. And he was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. So the world's first worship leader was born there. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. So it becomes very clear that from the initial uh, stages of mankind's existence that man was intelligent, man was industrious, man leaned towards technological advancement and, and used the world around him in very creative and very constructive ways. And when we look at the fossil record around the globe, when we look at the archaeological record around the globe, we do not see long periods of time, millions and or tens of millions of years of mankind's sojourn in a state of primitive development. What we see in the fossil record is very limited places on earth where there is limited use of technology. It happens for a very short period of time, and then all of a sudden we see industriousness. We see the, the world as we know it uh, begin to transform itself very quickly into a, into a land that's filled with those things which man invents. And so bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Neama. Uh, and when Lamech said to his wives, now I want you to notice this. Remember that Cain was marked himself. And that mark was so that no one killed him. Basically he was a, a condemned man from his very early uh, years on this earth, and as he is now slain Abel, and he's wandered around, and now Cain, uh, his, off, off, his, his offspring, uh, as, he, he, as Cain begins to have children himself, uh, he begets another male son whose name is Lamech, and, and he says to his wives, Edah and Zillah, hear my voice, the wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me. And so he's already beginning to brag about things that people still to this day uh, sometimes exalt. Violence, ability to take vengeance. I've killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. And if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. He's basically saying, look, I am the baddest dude on the planet Earth. And so it becomes very quickly known that you can live by God's way or you can live by the hand of power. You, you can live by your own abilities. You can live by, in essence, carnality and flesh. Or, as we're going to see with Adam's next descendant uh, that's named here, and then Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. And so we have the godly line of Seth appear for God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel whom Cain killed. And so God's plan, and this is one of those beautiful pictures of the sovereign hand of God, God's sovereign hand is at work here. Uh, it, it was to be Abel who was the, the one that God had approved of. And he's taken out of the way, and here we see the next descendant. Uh, that's going to be the, the bearer of that godly line. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. And then man began to call on the name of the Lord. And so we have this early forming of society. And as we move through this tonight, there's a number of things that we can glean from this passage. These passages where we start to see all these 
in essence, the genealogy of mankind, uh, can be boring unless you really begin to dig into them a little bit. The original language helps significantly. But what you're looking at really is, is the world as it existed in, in what we would call the, the antediluvian world or the pre-flood times. And our world that we live in today is divided into two basic periods of Earth's history. One is that which existed prior to the flood, that antediluvian period, and that which exists after the flood, or the period of time in which we ourselves actually exist in the later stages of it. And that catastrophic event known as the flood, which we'll cover in a couple of chapters, uh, that catastrophic event changed the shape of the world, changed the history of archaeology, it changed the history of paleontology, the fossil record, it changed all of the evidence catastrophically in a very short period of time. And so what we have today is not visible evidence of what existed prior to the flood. We have the evidence of what existed after the flood. And so the existence of the fossil record and the existence specifically uh, of, the, of the record, the archaeological record, the paleontolog- paleontological record uh, of, of all of the animals that existed and all of mankind, in other words, anthropology, those things were altered at the flood. And so we have that record now in its two basic forms. This is almost the, the sole information that we have about the world as it existed prior to the flood. Completely destroyed. And so as you look at things that we would consider mythological or legendary, there's all kinds of supposed people that existed on the face of the earth. Uh, The fact of the matter is, is we don't have any archaeological record. We don't have any anthropological record. We have very little paleontological record of those things which existed prior to the flood. We only have what existed either directly during or directly after. And so As you begin to look at this, we are seeing the very beginnings of the study of the science of ethnology. In other words, people groups, people coming into existence. That Greek word ethnos, uh, from which we get our our basic word that describes uh, people group or or ethnicity or ethnic, uh, is, is beginning right here. And it's interesting because when you really look at what science has discovered thus far, Now, back in 2012, probably most of you know Dr. Robert Ballard, if you've ever watched the movie Titanic or read about the discovery of the Titanic. He is the one that actually discovered the Titanic sitting on the floor of the Atlantic Ocean. In 2012, he did an archaeological deep sea study of the Black Sea, uh, about 212 miles from the coast of Turkey, out in the middle of the Black Sea. And lo and and behold, he found a civilization on the bottom of the Black Sea. They began to do an archaeological scan of it, took photographs of it, pulled up all kinds of artifacts, all kinds of wood, ceramic amphorae, that's bottles that contain olive oil and wines and all kinds of stuff. And guess what the date was for those particular artifacts? Uh, Right around six and a half thousand years ago. And so they're in that particular region where we believe the Garden of Eden likely existed is archaeological evidence of a city covered by silt that sits on the bottom of a sea that at the time of the flood was likely a plain which was then completely covered over with water and turned into the Black Sea. So there's ample archaeological evidence that there was civilization in that area, though we do not see it above ground, we do see it on the bottom of the Black Sea. Uh, You can actually read about it in National Geographic. As you think about the the world as we see it today, it helps when you just simply recognize a couple of facts. Number one, in this period of time, there was no such thing as birth control. We're going to see that uh, most people that are going to be named, as a matter of fact, the antediluvian patriarchs, those are the the major... uh, people who are the the males, which we have their length of life, they would live a hundred plus years, and we'll see this next, and then they would have a bunch of children, and then they would live to an average age of 912 years. Um, That's a lot of time to have children. And so you could end up with very, very, very large families given that dynamic, imagining that humankind is pretty good at reproduction, 
Uh, And so while I'm trying to stay away from being sensationalistic here, it does not take you a lot of understanding to see that family groups could have reached thousands of people very quickly in a single generation. If you're talking about somebody living 912 years, that's the length of that family patriarch, and then all of their children also beginning to have children after they've been on the earth for maybe 15 to 20 years tops. And then their children having children. It's a simple issue of multiplication. And in fact, some initial studies that were done uh, back in the 1950s seem to indicate that the population, by the time we see Cain's life end, could have easily been over 100,000 people from just Adam and Eve. And so when you think about the world, don't immediately dismiss this because how in the world could we have possibly ended up with all these people from just two people. Real easy if your length of days is nearly a thousand years. And so that is what the biblical record uh, says to us. It is, not for, it is not for us to determine, well, I don't believe that part of the Bible, um, because repeatedly we see these very long ages. Remember that as you think about humankind, one of the things that we now know, because we've uh, studied the, the, in essence, the, the human genome sufficiently to understand. We currently today, in the study of gerontology, in other words, the study of aging, the science of aging, we do not know exactly what mechanism there is that actually causes people to die. Theoretically, people could live for very long periods of time, but for things like cellular mutation, somatic mutation. So there are all kinds of sciences that we now have studied that seem to indicate that this record is very accurate because at that time there would not have been cumulative cellular degeneration. There wouldn't have been disease that had been going on for thousands of years uh, to where those strains of disease, like right now, if you're one of the many of us that have had some form of cold or flu, how often do they produce a new flu shot? Every single year they produce a new flu shot. It covers hundreds of strains of, of flu viruses. Why? Because those viruses have begun to replicate and multiply. We now have all kinds of antibiotic-resistant strains of diseases that can't even be controlled with antibiotics because the cumulative effect of all those things has now borne a tremendous price in our world. Now imagine that none of those things yet exist. Mankind has just begun the process of sin, which your Bible says will beget death ultimately. Through sin comes death. And so through those changes, through those genetic mutations being collected over long periods of time, of course the cumulative effect is going to shorten man's life. But at this time, these folks are healthy. Secondarily, they're vegetarians. Uh, They're not yet eating meat so far as we know. We're going to find out they will do that rather readily. And and so they have a pretty healthy diet on top of it. They're not dying from diabetes and heart disease. They're they're probably not overweight. They're basically farmers. Uh, They're doing a whole bunch of work. So there's a bunch of things that we suffer with today that they didn't suffer with. There was nothing that was genetically modified. They weren't eating a bunch of, of foodstuffs that have been pumped full of hormones. They weren't intaking any kind of chemical, so they weren't wandering around going, you know, I wonder if I got PCBs in my blood or any of those types of things. So these guys had an opportunity to live in an environment that we will not ever see while we're still on this earth in its current condition. When the Lord makes a new heaven and a new earth, he's going to make a new one that looks like uh, something that's more along the lines of the Garden of Eden. So as your bodily organs begin to collect all kinds of chemicals, one of the reasons we have things like liver failure, that's just we, we're filtering out so many things that we breathe in the air. That's the reason we have smog, right? And there's no smog then. There's, there's not the type of radiation that we see. The ozone layer was completely intact at that time. So there's a ton of things that we look at. You have to be careful about dismissing the evidence of the Bible based on what we see today because this world is not the same as the world was then. Radically altered. And so keep it in perspective. Otherwise, you start to dismiss it just out of hand because people are living the better part of a thousand years. 
as people begin to journey on the earth, there's all kinds of things that pop into our minds, and we're going to try and get to some of those tonight in our remaining time. Some of those questions look like this, you know, as you start to study mankind's journey on the earth. Uh, I know there's a ton of things that I think about, and, and so I'll just give you some of my came up. You know, how, how was it possible? And I kind of just explained that. How was it possible that anybody could live a thousand years? And you look at the world as we have it today, and you'd say, ah, that's just not going to happen. I, I try and look at my body and go, imagine this lasting another eight centuries. I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. But we don't live in the same world. You know, most of us in here who are my age, you know, we can all sit around and remember when our dads told us, if you get grease on your hands, go rinse your hands with gasoline. Amen? Didn't we do that? If you ran out of gas, what'd you do? You went and got a piece of garden hose, stuffed it down the, the gas tank, sucked on it until you got a mouthful of gasoline. You spit the gasoline out and then stuck it in the other gas tank. It's called siphoning. We used to do stuff like that all the time. We had no idea that that's a deadly carcinogen. We shouldn't be sucking on gasoline, you know? We're just like, and then half the time, we're like, I wonder what would happen if I lit a match, you know? And we're not the bright, you know, our tools aren't that sharp sometimes. But we have collectively done a lot of things like that. We, We have ingested more alcohol in the last hundred years than the entirety of all recorded history. Did you know that? You don't think that that hasn't done some damage to a few livers? Then brilliantly, we decided, you know what? Because uh, let me explain something to you. When you're standing around a campfire, what normally do you not want to breathe in? Smoke. So who came up with the idea, well, let's put smoke in our lungs? We, we've done all kinds of things that, that you sit back and you think, well, you know, I kind of, you know, this, I feel a little bit better about myself right now. So... That's the way the world is today, but it is not how the world was then. There was nobody wandering around, you know, figuring out, hey, that plant looks good. I'll light that on fire and stick it in my mouth. (laughs) But what we do know is that all humanity was blood-related at that point in time. There's one man, there's one woman, and their children. And so as we, we look at that, the next question, where did Cain get his wife? It's real simple. She was either one of his sisters or at least a cousin. And the reason we know that, there's no place for any other people to come from. The Bible doesn't seem to indicate that E.T. phoned home and brought some, you know, some nice girls from the planet Necron. But we also, again, did not have the genetic issues that we have today uh, that would cause birth defects. And that's the main reason that you're not allowed to marry a sibling. You have to also remember that the world was not sexualized then as it is today. So people wandering around thought of the human sexual relationship in a completely benign, absolutely God-given way. So when they were thinking about those things, it was not based on seeing some pornographic image. It was not based on some thing that they saw in the movie. It didn't have anything to do with what's happened in our world, which is the entire population has become sexualized. They thought about it in a completely normal, natural way. So they weren't sitting around, oh, this is really weird. We do. We, we go, Ugh, that is not okay. That's because it's not okay today. This was not the world that they lived in. And so absolutely, just as the first woman was taken directly from Adam, uh, they shared, in in essence, genetic material. When God takes Adam's side and closes it back up and makes Eve in the very same way, uh, Cain was definitely uh, related to his wife. Uh, either as a directly as a sister or a cousin. Now, here's the other thing. We have no idea how many generations removed. We're not told what Cain's age is. We're not told what the age of his wife is. So it could have easily been two, three generations removed from Cain himself. So 
You have to leave that in God's hands, but there's no other explanation for it. Uh, It's very clear uh, in that sense that Cain had brothers and sisters. And interestingly enough, as we rely often on the Jewish historian who was also a Roman, Josephus, Flavius Josephus wrote that the oral tradition, the history that was passed down amongst uh, the people that lived during that time in the first century uh, credited Adam and Eve to having 33 sons and 23 daughters. So you can imagine just doing some simple math if there were one right after another uh, you're, you're talking about periods of, of nearly 100 years before all the children would have even been born. And so they could have been many, many, many years apart. Uh, and because of the lifespan, someone then that was 100 years old and someone that was 200 years old would be kind of like someone who's 18 and 25 today. It's just a different world. Uh, and so leave it in that, in that time frame. Uh, It's very obvious also from the Hebrew that when we see here Cain's wife, that's the word that we have translated into English, but it's not quite so simple if you look at the original Hebrew because the Hebrew word there is isha. And isha can be translated as simply woman and it can be translated as female. And so Cain wasn't looking at this young lady like his sister. He was looking at this young lady like a female or a woman, a very natural and normal thing to do. And so that's the world that we know uh, existed. So when you think about Cain's wife, uh, we just don't simply know when they were married. And we know very little about the relationship. But we know this, that God is truthful. He gives us an accurate report of, of those events. I think purposely, he doesn't tell us everything. Because when you do that, you begin, the, the more truth you have on the front end, the more things you have to explain on the back end. And in this case, this is a fairly insignificant detail. Uh, it's important to us because we think of it in the modern context. But to those who are hearing this for the first time in the historical record, in the historical sense as it's written down, would have cared very little about it because it was prior to the flood. And so this is really how we get to a single godly line, and we're going to see that line, which is uh, the godly line of Seth coming, coming up next. And so we think of this situation as incest. Um, but in that patriarchal generation, it, it wouldn't have been viewed that way. It would have been brother-sister as we know it. It would have been you know, maybe cousin and cousin. It, it, to us, we would, it would have a severe creep factor to it. But to them... It was what they had been called to do. Remember that they were given the command, be fruitful and multiply. And because there's not a ton of sin issues that were in the world, uh, they weren't running around with all the things that we have to distract us from what God's called us to do. Uh, They were taking the command of the Lord, in essence, seriously. It's like, this is what we're supposed to do. And so they did it. Uh, There was a level of it that you could say was obedience to the command of the Lord. And, of course, there was nothing barring them uh, from having a normal sexual relationship uh, with somebody who was of the opposite gender. There weren't abhorrent uh, things going on in the culture. We know nothing of it, not until we finally get to the time of Abraham and Lot uh, do we really begin to see Uh, how corrupt mankind can actually become with that regard. And so their general purpose for God's design of male and female uh, was reproduction. And so that's exactly what they did. The next thing that we see uh, is the creation of the first city people. You know, us being city people. Uh, Here's the first city. Uh, And so if you you look at the genealogy that's here, uh, by the time of the flood, what's going to happen uh, once the, the flood occurs, there's really only going to be about 1,656 years uh, after creation until the time of the flood. So this is now getting fairly near the time of the flood. So there have been 1,500 or so years that have gone by, uh, and mankind has been on the earth for a while. Uh, and, and so you've got, this, you know, you've got this city that's now going to take the name uh, of one of Cain's, Cain's relatives, uh, Cain knows his wife, they bear Enoch, and Enoch is going to have uh, a city named after him. And so one generation, and this is why it's a, I think this is an important fact, 
one generation after the birth of Adam, you have mankind becoming urbanized, gathering together in clusters for all kinds of different reasons. And every time we find man gathering together in large areas, uh, we find man figures out ways to get in trouble. Uh, That's kind of what we do when we all put our heads together because we're all sinners, amen? And sinners get together and unfortunately try and convince each other that they've found the best way to sin. And so here, all of a sudden, there's there's a city. Cain's gone out from the presence of the Lord into this into this land, and I believe it's not a, a name of a specific land, but I think it's really what he's doing, because Nod actually means in Hebrew, wandering. It, it means to wander around. It means to be nomadic, is what it actually means. And so Cain uh, has gone out. He's, he's been nomadic, but he's getting tired of being nomadic. He wants to put down some roots. He wants to stay in one place. Uh, and, and so their son, Enoch, uh, who, his name means dedication, gathers together this group of people and, and they uh, begin this first little community, probably a very small town, but the bottom line is, is they, they actually built the world's first city. And the interesting thing there is it did not take millions of years of development. So from God's perspective, from two people through the first lifespan of the first patriarch before the flood, Roughly call it a thousand years. It wasn't quite that long, but call it a thousand years. In that thousand years, man goes from being single and solitary, living in small family patriarchal groups, to formulating communities that are called in Scripture a city or a town. So when you look around the world, if mankind has actually been here for, say, as some would say, Uh, from Australopithecus till now, uh, we're talking millions of years of human development on the face of the earth. There is zero anthropological record of people being on the earth in large groups for millions of years. Matter of fact, as far as Australopithecus is concerned, there's exactly two fossils, neither of them complete, of that particular entire species. And so... The Bible says there would be small cities. When you look around the world in an ancient sense, what do you find? You almost immediately find small cities. You find small groups of people wandering around as hunter-gatherers, but other than that, you find small communities all over, all the way up into Norway and all the way down to the southern tip of Africa. And so... The biblical record seems to bear witness to the truth of what we actually find uh, on our planet insofar as the flood has not destroyed uh, the record that previously existed. And so when you begin to look at this, the book of Jude, interestingly enough, actually tells us this in verse 14, and now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, behold, The Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. So it doesn't say that Enoch is the 200th or the 2,000th person from Adam. It doesn't say that there have been, you know, thousands of generations. It says very plainly that from Adam there were seven generations to Enoch. So your Bible seems to indicate in the New Testament and agrees completely with the fact that the Old Testament declares that there were only seven generations and then Enoch And from Enoch, he bears all these kids, and we're going to look at their names because their names are actually uh, fairly important to to the record that we hold to. Irad means townsman, and so we begin to see these names listed for a purpose, I think, to kind of let us know what was going on in the world at that time. And so when we begin to look at, at the world as we know it today and we study the historical record of the societies that existed on earth, it becomes very evident that mankind was pretty, pretty advanced, even what we would call uh, in the years B.C. by several thousand. So you look back at the Babylonian Empire, uh, the Pharaonic Empire in Egypt. Uh, you look certainly at Greece and Rome later. You look at the Medes, the Persians, all the historical peoples. It becomes very evident that they figured out what we call the late Bronze Age, the 
the neo-bronze age, those ages where man was making metal weapons, happened quite a long time ago. This was not something that, you know, took billions of years, uh, or millions of years, rather, of human evolution. Uh, once man got going, he got going really quickly and developed iron weapons, bronze weapons, uh, very, very, very fast, and created cities. And Mahujael means God gives life. And so uh, as you start to look at these, are, life is continuing. Life is spreading. Life is blossoming out in that what, what is today called the Fertile Crescent, uh, the area of Iran and Iraq around the river Euphrates, uh, the Tigris River in that area that we would call, uh, generally speaking, the Middle East. And Methushael means God's man. And so God's kind of imprinting on society uh, some basic things as he, as he gives us these names. He's reminding us he intended for us to, to worship him. He intended for us to understand that he's the one that gives life. Uh, it does appear that he, in, he intended for us to gather together and, and to take care of one another's needs. Uh, Lamech is an interesting guy, though, because now comes something that uh, probably is not beneficial for humankind. Because if you've got a conqueror, that means you have to have a victor and you have to have a loser. Amen? That's what a conqueror does. And so we see in this one man, we begin to see a little bit of man's problem uh, with taking advantage of his fellow man. Man's inhumanity to man. Man's unkindness to man. Uh, and so Lamech, being the conqueror, now takes these people who are gathering together in cities and says, you know what, I want to be your ruler. Uh, and so God's going to come along on the scene. He's going to institute human government, not, not too distant future. But at this time, he, he's now, he's kind of like, he's the lone wolf. He's like, I- I'm going to make my own rules and I'm going to rule over everybody else. So he gets the name conqueror. Uh, we have Jabal, who, who's the wanderer. This is the guy that invented the tent. And so you, you can kind of begin to see you have this, kind of these two differing lifestyles. You have those that are wandering. You have those that are semi-nomadic or nomadic people. You have people that are living in towns. You have people that want to rule over others. You, you can see very quickly that all the various different ways that we can relate to one another uh, come out in human personality almost instantaneously. Uh, Jabal, excuse me, means wanderer. Jubal means sound. He, he had an ear for music. And so you can, you can kind of begin to, to see the, the seeds of what will ultimately come uh, into existence through all these guys and then become the areas where uh, mankind would have problems. Mankind would begin to rebel. Uh, if you want to get into an argument, there's a few things that you can do at your Thanksgiving table. You can talk about politics. Amen. Almost instantaneously, you will have an argument at your dinner table if you talk about politics. Uh, you can talk about religion, amen? That usually will get you an argument. You can talk about war. That will usually get you an argument. Definitely you can talk about music. That will get you an argument. You, you, you can kind of see these are the chief things that mankind, when we sit down and talk about them, they're kind of innate things within us that each one of us has pretty strong opinions on. And so you, you can see the formulation of the whole of the human heart in, in the naming of some of these early members of the patriarchal family. You can kind of see how it's like, okay, we got music going on here. Uh, we, we have a number of things that as you look at it, it's like, wow, we still struggle with those things today. As, as Lamech does something that initially is the first time. And so he now is going to become a bigamist. He's going to take up two wives, uh, and it's not going to go well. I don't know. We don't know. We aren't told. Was he trying to get a jump on the rest of society by having more children than everyone else? The chances are that, that that's likely true because the person that had the larger family was also the more powerful. They could gain more uh, goods. They could plant more crops. They could have more animals, all the things that humankind could do. Uh, if you had a larger family, basically you would have... Uh, been able to have more of it. And it's interesting, his two wives were probably uh, some pretty good-looking ladies because their their names were Ornament and Shade. And if you live in a semi-nomadic desert environment, you want shade, and an ornament is usually a beautiful thing. So 
probably indicating that these were, these were a couple of pretty good-looking gals, and so it's interesting. He has to actually, kind of within earshot of the rest of the community, say, hey, any, you, you think messing with Cain was bad. You mess with me, it'll be 70 times and seven greater. It'll be worse for you than if you had hunted down Cain. So he's kind of boasting. He's, he's been a little bit prideful. He kind of comes up with a little poetic uh, way to say this. And so you, you can kind of see there's some seeds of rebellion that are being sown here. Urban life. It's like, nah, we want to live together. We want to kind of, you know, make sure that it's kind of, you can almost see it at the early uh, beginnings here of a little more socialist thought. It's like, well, I'll get together, everybody will share in it. And again, not that there's anything inherently wrong with those types of things, but when you begin to lean on those instead of your own value and your own industriousness, when, when you begin to rely on other people uh, as opposed to taking care of your own family, as Scripture says we as men are to do, pretty clear, Paul writing to Timothy said, a man that doesn't take care of his own household is worse than an unbeliever. So God intended for us, especially as husbands, to, to take care of our own families. And so it kind of seems like they're getting together. It's like, well, you know, this will enable me to have it a little bit easier. And then you have the nomadic life. You kind of have the antisocial folks. You know, we're going to move to Montana and build bomb shelters kind of guys. You know, they, they wanted to live the nomadic life. They didn't want to be around anybody else. They didn't want to answer to anybody else. Both extremes are bad. Neither one by itself is anything wrong with it. But when you get that extremist mentality of we all have to live in cities or you get the extremist mentality, we all got to be nomadic, uh, people start dividing up along those lines. We also see that cattle raising uh, is, has now been inaugurated. Men had uh, likely become meat eaters. We don't know for sure, but we're going to find that out fairly soon that that is in fact the case. Uh, metalworking, tools, there, there's, you know, they're starting to figure out. And, of course, some of those early tools and almost exclusively what we find uh, in, in the archaeological and anthropological record is that mankind, the first thing man makes is weapons. The very first thing. Usually a knife or an axe, and those can be used for work. But after that, well, if I've got a, if I've got a knife and you've got a rock... If I've got a sword, if I've got a bow and arrow and all you've got is a rock, guess who's the winning guy? It's me, because I have superior weaponry. And so it appears that man initially uh, begins to use these things, probably for a good purpose, and it will not take long before man is using those metal tools instead of as tool uh, to ease the toil, which would have, you know, that would have been a pretty rational thinking mind, but rather using them as weapons to harm each other with musical instruments and it's interesting to me that when you think of musical instruments uh, we are supposed to be worshiping the lord and we can do that and we do do that with a whole host of musical instruments today but during that time initially they were invented when you see the psalmist uh, they're almost always mitigating sorrow with those it's kind of like a way to you know take over their take care of their agony and you know, I don't know how many of you have ever, you know, listened to, to music. It's just like when you get done, it's like, man, I'm really bummed now. I thought it was, I thought it was not okay before, but that song just put me in a funk. Uh, it, it, it appears from, from what we read that they initially did that because they were sorrowful. It's just like, I'm going to, you know, just play my really sad song right now. We also see another thing that's certainly a seed of rebellion. Instead of monogamous marriage, we have polygamous marriage. And so from Adam and Eve and that two that have become one, we see one with two that God only knows what was going on in that household. But we know this, there's going to be jealousy, there's going to be favoritism, there's going to be all kinds of things that come that are not going to be helpful uh, to, to those three people that are in the place of what should be two. And so all of those things, those weapons that are developed, and then you see here in the Song of Lamech this, this kind of almost boasting about how tough and how, how bad he is. If you've ever read you know, the, the writings of, of Homer and you read some of the Greek epic poems, and it's just like you know the boasting about who's died and how many you've killed and uh, who else has been harmed and, and how great you are, uh, that's kind of a function of how 
uh, a lot of the, the early writings were. In fact, when you, when you look at especially the Babylonians uh, and the Assyrians, uh, almost every bit of what we found as far as the writings of the Babylonians and the Assyrians were uh, that of the great epic of Gilgamesh or, you know, these, these incredible epics of who killed who and how many died doing it. That's the history of mankind. We, it's kind of like if, if we write those things down, if we speak those things out, then people will be afraid of us. And, you know, fear is a way that you can rule over people. When people are afraid of you, you have power over them. And it appears that that is exactly uh, what happened here with Lamech. He, he ruled, in essence, with an iron fist, made people definitely afraid of them. Uh, and then we find the, the next step in the line heading towards Jesus there in verses 25 and 26. And notice what it says. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another, and his name actually means appointed or substituted. That's what it means in Hebrew. Uh, named, named him Seth, for his, appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him was also born a son, and he named him Enosh, and it was then that men began to call on the name of the Lord. And in, interesting, because Enosh means frailty. It, it, it seems to indicate a, a, a need, if you will, uh, a mortal understanding of who you are. And so this next line, which will be the whole sum and substance of the next uh, chapter really is this godly line of Seth, how man went from seeing all these things that could distract and cause us to not think of the, the Lord himself. And it was at this time that men began to call on the name of the Lord. And when we think of the name of the Lord, it's interesting how uh, the Jewish people at that that were not even born at that time because it would come through Abraham, but uh, during that time, they, they still called on the name of the Lord. They understood exactly who Yahweh was, Yahweh Adonai. They, they knew that there was one God, and that one God was the covenant-keeping God. They knew that that one God was the one who had been their creator. They knew that God himself uh, was to be known. It was the same God that would go on to speak to Moses, the same God that would go on to speak to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, uh, and, and so they began to call on the name of this God, this one God. And it would not be until uh, the biblical translators, specifically the Septuagint translators, would actually come up with a name for him uh, instead of calling him uh, Yahweh Adonai or Yahweh the Lord of hosts. Instead of calling him that, they would transliterate that down to Jehovah and they would take Yahweh take the, the consonants out of, or take the consonants out of Yahweh and they'd take the vowels out of Adonai and put them together and that would be the covenant name of God because they didn't want to mispronounce it. It was so holy that they wanted to make sure that they, they had the one and the only God but they didn't want to mispronounce his name so they began to worship the Lord. And so they would just say, Lord. They would say, Adonai. I want to worship the Lord himself. God's always been the Lord. He's never been anything less than the Lord. And when mankind has had an opportunity to do good, sometimes mankind chooses to do good. And sometimes mankind chooses to do wrong. That's been the history of who we are. Uh, it's still the history of who we are today. Uh, there, are, there are good people that have come from bad circumstances, and there are bad people that have come from good circumstances. But the only way to straighten that out is to call upon the name of the Lord. And so we see this little glimmer of hope in this godly line of Seth uh, that's going to ultimately produce the Lord Jesus himself. And that's the, the substance of what's coming next. You're going to see civilization unfold uh, like it does not here. But that godly line comes into view for us. Uh, you know, the human accomplishments, we're, we're not going to read of them. We're, 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 we're going to actually just kind of read of the boasting. And we're eventually going to get to the place to where God's going to say, enough. You know, when you put enough people together, you can come up with some really good things and you can come up with some really bad things. And unfortunately, uh, in this pre-flood world, there's a lot of bad things that came up. So we're going to have two lines that will be left. The line that, in essence, comes from Cain and the line that comes from Seth. 
and we'll figure out which one's which in our next study. Amen? And bring the worship team back up. I want to pray with you. And while we worship, while we spend some time in worship, a couple of pastors are going to come forward and be available for prayer. If there's something on your heart, you just need prayer. Think of this. What kind of heritage are you going to leave? What kind of, what will be said of your generations? What evidence will there be left from your life when you exit the planet? What happens when you go home to be with the Lord? What will be made known uh, from your name? What will people remember? Because we have in view here two lines and two very different remembrances. Will there be a remembrance of your godliness or will there be a remembrance of rebellion? Will, will there be a remembrance of the Lord Most High or will there be a remembrance of not serving the Lord and, and being contrary to the things of God? That's a choice that we still get to make. Uh, the Lord has already been, the Lord is, he's already Savior. Uh, so we, we don't have to look for another one. But what the world desperately needs is godly people to raise godly children, to leave a godly inheritance to affect the next generation for the Lord. And so the picture that we have here is the same choice that we have today. God's called us to to make sure this world has all kinds of people in it who love the Lord because that's the world's best chance to hear the gospel and be saved is from people who know the Lord. And so we want to leave a godly heritage uh, in the midst of our civilization. Amen. Father, thank you for the time tonight and we pray now that as we turn our attention uh, to worship and and to your table, God, to uh, just remembering who you are that you, in fact, died on Calvary's cross and shed your blood for us that we might have eternal life and be freed from the bondage of sin. Lord, forgiven, uh, we thank you for the fact that we are your children and that you love us. Help us to leave a godly heritage on this earth. If they don't remember us, would they remember you and your work through us? We bless you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we worship, if you need prayer, 